eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Here's some of the best of of our DC show with some interviews that we thought... uh, made too much sense not to throw in and, and give you some extra content here. You're going to hear from Barry Sterluga on uh, the, the trade who, who covered everything today for the Washington Post. Jim Callis who breaks down all the prospects. Mackenzie Gore the Padre coming to the Nationals in this deal. David Aldridge a little different uh, angle I guess as, as he was very pro kind of keeping Soto and, yeah. and just seeing what happens in the future. And then Adam Eaton reminiscing with us about 19. So enjoy some of these chats starting with Sverluga not long after the trade had happened. I kind of feel like the organization, as painful and weird and unemotional as this is to say, I I feel like the organization is in a better place at 2.30 p.m. on on Tuesday than it was at 2.30 p.m. on on Monday. And that's a a hard conclusion to, to reach because, you have so much locked into Juan Soto over time. He is the known character in this equation. He is known both for what he can do in the present, what he has done in the past, and what people believe he will do in the future. And the players you're getting in return, five or I guess six players in total from the Padres, um, at least five of them are just names and ages and stats and minor league levels. Um, written in black and white. So there's a lot of unknowns, but if you, you know, Grant, I'm sure you are a Fangraphs guy. If, if Fangraphs is telling me um, that the Nationals entered the day with the 24th ranked farm system in, the, in Major League Baseball, and at the end of the day, if you include um, Mackenzie Gore in the deal as a prospect, they would have the fifth best farm system uh, in, the, in the majors. I'd say you did the right thing for the organization because it certainly felt like Juan Soto was headed toward free agency. Barry, a lot of fans are mad. I don't begrudge that uh, today. Mad, sad, whatever you want to kind of put in there. Just not happy to, to not have this superstar in town anymore. What do you say to them? 
Oh, I, I get it, Danny. I mean, and, and that's why I think it's hard when, when you're entrusted with running a baseball front office and you have to run it like a business and you're Juan Soto and you say last night after game, I understand this is a business and fans want to treat it like a game, which it is a game. You grow up playing this game. You do it for fun. It, you do it and teach it to your own kids for reasons that have nothing to do with the business. Um, so there's kind of a, a, an inevitable, unavoidable tension there between the, the emotional attachment you have to this player who you saw come up at 19, who you saw take Garrett Cole deep uh, in the World Series, um, who you saw blossom right in front of you into a, a player that I'm not, I'm not kidding you guys, like, when you talk to people around the league and I'm almost hesitant to put into columns, the comps that, that these people are making about what Juan Soto could be or already is that as a hitter, it's, it's the best hitters who have ever picked up a bat. Um, that's amazing to think about. So I get the anger and the frustration and I particularly understand it when it's folded in, you know, either fairly or not with the departures of Harper and Rendon and, and Turner. Um, but I also think it's it's fair to say that this is a rebuilding process that's very, very similar to 2009 and 2010. The difference is they had a tradable chip that could really inject a whole lot of life at a whole lot of levels throughout the organization. Um, and I, I just kind of come back to that conclusion that, that they're better today than they were yesterday. Poor Josh Bell. <laughs> I know. In Juan Soto's shadow here in D.C., and he, he's had a better year, frankly, in some areas. I mean, he's cut down on his strikeout rate at an, a, a rate that is astounding to me. He's done a lot of good things, a 384 on base, and, and right now a 300 hitter going to San Diego is going to be a massive impact for them down the stretch, and no one's really talking about him. What a gnat he was. You know, they acquired him in another deal that Rizzo won with Pittsburgh. He got off to a really bad start last year, but remember, Barry, he had COVID. I was told he had like a 104 temperature at one point and really had some effects. And because of that, was chasing his tail for a few weeks. But if you go back to like a month and a half into last year to now, he was a sensational Nationals player and in the community was awesome. Just a thought on Josh Bell and the idea of doing what they did last year, packaging guys together to get the most back, which seems like it has worked now twice for them to get a nice haul. Well, and I would say that um... – you know, you're right about the kind of impact he had in a short time, not just in the lineup, but but in the clubhouse and in the community. I mean, this is a just a bouncy, awesome personality, just perfect person to have around. And and you're right about the COVID too. I mean, I think his his slow start was directly attributable to that, and he's been excellent since that. I think the question that I don't think I'll end up understanding at the end of today, and I don't completely understand even going back to last year is, you know, someone suggested to me, if you, if you buy, you pay more for one can of soda than you do for on a per can basis in a 12 pack. Right. So if you split up bell and, and um, soda, couldn't you get more than you do for them in a package? I I don't know that we'll ever know the end of uh, the answer to that. The, The bottom line is not trading one. I mean, not trading Josh bell today, would have been malpractice. He's, he's on an expiring deal. He's the one player you have other than Soto who could bring back something interesting. If the deal 
got enhanced by even one of those names um, with the Padres because Bell was included or one and a half or, you know, a new guy plus an upgrade over somebody else that was going to be in it, then, then that's awesome. And they absolutely did the right thing. I mean, we we could not stand here at 6 PM on Tuesday and say, Josh Bell is still a national. What a great job guys. That, that would not have been um, the right thing, even though, as you said, he's, he's kind of everything you wanted since you traded for him. We chatted with Jim Callis about the hole the Nats got back as far as the prospect package. Let's go through who they got back. Start with a guy with some major league service time here. I guess a couple of them do, but uh, Mackenzie Gore. What's his ceiling? How good is he now? Give you kind of State of the Union. Yeah, well, I mean, he's hurt right now, but, like, you know, hopefully it isn't anything too serious. But, I mean, we, we saw before he got hurt this year, this was a guy who was a number three overall pick in the draft, who was the best pitching prospect in baseball at one point. I mean, that, you know, assuming he's healthier when he gets back to full health, that will be your, your number one starter in Washington. And, I mean, as you guys probably know, I know Grant does, I, I'm probably as big a McKenzie, fan, McKenzie Gore fan as there is out there. So, I mean, you're getting a potential, you know, front line, you know, build a rotation around type of guy. 72 strikeouts, 70 innings, 66 hits this year for the Padres. He got off to an unbelievable start, then really struggled before this injury, and fingers crossed it was an elbow that he left his last start with, but it's not anything lengthy. All right, but we won't go in the order of kind of impact. We we could ask you that later, but let's just go with the next guy chronologically. Nats Park, we'll see him this week. C.J. Abrams is in the big leagues. He's been playing shortstop for the Padres. He's another blue-chip type player who was drafted sixth overall, Flew through the minors, was a pick in 2019. The MLB results have not been great yet, but uh, what do you make of him? He's still very young. He's 21 years old. Yeah, and, and you know, you have C.J. Abrams. you got to cut him some slack. I mean, not that, that you in particular weren't Grant, uh, Grant, but, you know, the thing is, you know, with the injury he had last year in the pandemic, he just hasn't even played that many games, uh, honestly. Like, he's played in his career 106 games in the minor leagues, and he's 21 and in the big leagues. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's got – you know, uh, you know, game-changing speed. I think he's he's he could be a 15 to 20 home run guy. Bat to ball skills. Even though he's not putting up big numbers, he's not striking out excessively. Um, he's got defensive versatility. I think he could play short. I think at worst he winds up in center. So I mean, you're looking at a middle diamond player. You know, probably a guy who bats toward the top of your lineup. I mean. I'm not saying he's going to be this good, but I guess if I'm the Nats, I'm dreaming that, hey, maybe this guy can give us some of what Trey Turner used to give us. 334 minor league hitter, by the way, in parts of three seasons yep. with a 9-10 OPS. So the results were absolutely there in the high minors. And as you said, with little hey, experience Grant, I mean, that, at 21, he's four, already here. Uh, Grant, I was going to say four or five years younger than his competition in those leagues, too. Yep. He, he was one of the youngest guys in the leagues he was playing in most of the time also. Jim Callison will be pipeline with us here on, on Grant and Danny. All right, let's go down the list here. Robert Hassel sounds like a really promising young hitter, only 20 years old. Yeah, you know, Hassel's a guy, uh, number eight overall pick in the draft. Um, a couple of years ago, you know, he they call him you know Bobby Barrels because he makes a lot of line drive contact. I, th- I think he's a hit over power guy, but I think you can get to average power there. He's a solid runner, good arm. I think he's got a shot to play center. If he doesn't play center, then I think he's a right fielder. I mean, we're, we've just talked about, what, three guys who went in the top eight picks of their drafts. When can we see Hassel in the major leagues, do you think? What's his timeline? Um, well, I mean, he's still pretty young. I mean, he was a high school guy drafted in, in, in 2020. Uh, you know, he's, you know, hasn't even gotten to double A yet. I mean, he's playing pretty well in high A and, and you could promote him theoretically. I mean, realistically, 
uh, you know, probably 2024, you know, late 2023, you know, you, you got to play the whole service time game still, but you know, he's not, I mean, he's only 20 years old. So he's, he, I mean, he's still pretty young, but he's, he's handling high A very well, you know, for his age. It may, maybe you give him a little cup of coffee in the end of next year. And then he's competing for an everyday job in 24, which is the more likely year I'd say for James Wood, Jim, who's a little bit further off. He's 19 years old. He's actually a Rockville, Maryland guy. I know you've got some family in the area here, but he, he played some high school basketball in D.C. before going to IMG Academy. And what I was told was this is a, a guy that the Padres did not want to part with. The part of the reason for Bell's involvement and some of these other moving parts for the Nationals was James Wood was pertinent on both sides of this thing. Why do you think that is? Yeah, well, because he, he's got exciting upside. I mean, when, when C.J. Abrams coming into the year and Mackenzie Bork both – both were still on our prospects list. They hadn't graduated to the major leagues, and they, they technically have now because they've exceeded the rookie limits, so, you know, at least from our list standards. But I had people telling me that inside the Potters organization, outside of C.J. Abrams, that the people, including A.J. Preller, thought James Wood was their number two prospect. He was a, a second-round pick in, in last year's draft, but he got first-round money. And he's 6'7", 240, left-handed hitter, well above average raw power, plus speed, strong arm. You know, the, the reason he went in the second round, even though he got paid in the first first round money last year, was he had a rough spring at IMG Academy in Brainton, Florida, and there was a lot of swing and miss, and guys worried about his ability to hit. And since he's coming to pro ball, like the swing and miss has not been excessive. And he, and I mean, it's small sample size at the low levels, but he's hit, he's hit 336. He's drawn a fair amount of walks, and, and you feel a lot better about his hitting. I mean, the, the interesting parallel is, that same IMG Academy team obviously had Elijah Green, who the Nationals just took with their first-round pick. And Elijah Green came into this year's draft with some swing-and-miss questions. Not as severe as James Wood, uh, and he had a better spring than James Wood did at, at IMG. But you know, you, you could make a case. Well, I think there is no case. Elijah Green had the highest ceiling of any player in this year's draft. His tools were crazy. You could probably make a case that James Wood had the highest ceiling of any of the high school players in last year's draft. Like, like there's there's some boomer bust risk there, but the ceiling is is huge. And now they 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 have that guy two years in a row. So anyway, that that's why the Potters are reluctant to give him up. Is you were worried about the swing and miss, and he's hit the ground running so well that I think you're feeling a lot better about his hitting ability. And if James Wood hits, he might be, you know, he'll probably be the, he could be the best player in this deal. He, like, he, he probably has the highest, I mean, you could be talking, you know, 30-30, you know, if you want to dream, I don't know, 40-40 type of guy. You know, he's got that ceiling. Um, so he's pretty exciting. And that was the next question, which you kind of answered. But if this goes well, because I view him as kind of boomer bust a little bit, and for the record, I was already a little bit wrong about him because I was worried about the swing and miss. It's one of the reasons I was lower on Elijah Green before this draft, and the swing adjustment he's made has already been really impressive, and, and now it's too late. Like, I got out of the business. I can't get back in. You need to get on the <laughs> ground too late. You can get back in. You can get back in. <laughs> no, it's we'll too late. He's in. out, Jim. He's out. No, I, I've been in for a couple of months. I'll say that. But here's, here's the point. Like, if this works, what does it look like? And you kind of answered that, but I'd ask the same about Hassel as well. Yeah, I, I, I mean, to me, Hassel's floor stands out more than his ceiling. And I don't mean that as a negative, but, I mean, to me, Hassel's a guy who the upside is like he's a, a 280, you know, 300 hitter, 20 home runs, plays a solid center field. But, but I think his floor is higher. Like, like I don't see – I'd be shocked if Robert Hassel isn't at least like a 270, 15 home run dude who can play a, a good right field. Jim Callison will be pipeline with us here talking about the hall, the – Nationals got returned for Juan Soto and um, 
Why am I blanking on his name? Josh Bell, goodness gracious. Four of their now top ten prospects, according to most folks, are acquired here in this trade. Last but not least, Jarlin Susana, only 18 years old. What do we know about him? Yeah, no, he's he's another super exciting, super young fiscal guy. He's 18 years old, 6'6", 235. He was the top pitcher on the international market this year. He signed for $1.7 million back in, in January. And, I mean, he already touches the upper 90s with his fastball. He touches the upper 80s with his slider. He, you know, he and, and for a guy who's that young, um, he throws a reasonable amount of strikes. He's not just okay. Here's this raw thrower, and we're going to have to take time to polish him up. You know, he's not Greg Maddox or anything, but like he's throwing a promising amount of strikes. And uh, you know, again, I mean, he'd probably. I mean, if you were lining these guys up, I, I guess you consider him the fifth player in the deal. But if the fifth player in the deal is an 18 year old six six dude who's throwing 99 with an 89 mile an hour slider at his best. That's a pretty good fifth player to get in the deal. Yeah, no kidding. So I guess we can end it here. How do you think they did compared to all the rumors and all the thoughts over the last few weeks? Um, yeah, I mean, this is it, it's funny. I, I thought the Dodgers, because of the, the money they have, you know, in terms of maybe signing him long, Soto long-term, and the talent they have in the majors and minors, were best positioned to go get Juan Soto. But then the flip side, and I said this on MLB Network this morning, is you just felt like after the way the Max Scherzer-Trey Turner trade went down last year where the Potters thought they were getting Scherzer, and how aggressive A.J. Preller is, you kind of felt like A.J. Preller was not going to come in second. It was just going to be like, he'll do what it takes. And I think in terms of you know getting the most you were going to get for, for Soto and, and Josh Bell is in the trade, they got five really, really high-ceilinged prospects here. I mean, like I said, Hassel, maybe the floor stands out a little bit more for Soto. But if we, we want to talk ceiling here. You could have, you know, front-line starter Mackenzie Gore. You could have a, you know, Theoretically, a uh, 300-hitter, stolen base champ, and C.J. Abrams plays up the middle. You know, I just put 30-30 on James Wood. You know, ceiling for Robert Hassel, he's another 300-hitter with 20 homers, plays up the middle. And, and Susana, you know, is 18 and he's throwing 99. Like, there's, there's an awful lot of ceiling there. And you think Hassel stays in center, by the way, or moves to a corner? I, I think it's kind of on the bubble. I mean, I, I think that's one of those than where I, thought. I interviewed him at Futures game a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and just not that standing next to him means a whole lot. He looked good in the game playing center, but I, I was surprised with kid. how tall he is. Yeah, he's he's kind of kind of you know lanky, a little bit lanky. I mean, I think he's got a chance to play in center. I don't think he's got that classic plus speed you think of the center fielder. I think his instincts are pretty good. I think it's one of those that comes down to who's on your big league club when he gets to the big leagues. You know, you know, you could have a better center fielder, and I think his bat will will be enough to be in the corner. And at the same token, he might be good enough to stay in center. Jim, great info, buddy. Appreciate it on a busy day. Yeah, no problem. Key, uh, it's, uh, we'll, we'll see what else the Nationals do. I don't know if they have more moves left, but uh, a lot of exciting young talent coming your way. Then we got a call from Mackenzie Gore before he jumped on the plane to come to D.C. Uh, yes, yeah, so, I mean, yesterday was pretty normal. Um, you know, uh, Padres had doubleheader today, so I just went into the field early, doing some, uh, to go do some rehab stuff, and then it kind of, all happened once I got to the field. So, uh, yeah, crazy morning. At this point, you, you're you one of the centerpieces of a deal for one of the best players in the history of the game. When you think about it, right? Juan Soto is in this unbelievable class. Uh, his historical comps are guys like Ted Williams and Mickey Mantle and some of the best to ever do it. You're part of a deal in, in, in trade for him. That's got to be pretty flattering, no? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's – yeah, he's – Obviously, one of the best players in the game. Uh, fun to watch, and 
we all knew that, you know, if that was going to happen, that, you know, I, I knew that there was a chance that I could be in D.C. So, um, yeah, he's a great player, and I'm just I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to it. 70 innings this season in the big leagues and 72 strikeouts from McKenzie Gore, whose ERA is a little over four, which is misleading because he was just so dominant at the start of this season. Take us through your, your 2022, McKenzie, because it got off to the fast start. Then you hit a little bit of, of a wall there, and now you're dealing with an injury on, on the IL. So just give us an idea of what this year's been like for you to this point. Yeah, so the first two months were uh, were a lot of fun. <laughs> and um, When you don't give up a run, I, I tend to be neat, pretty That's pretty neat, I guess, fun, right? if you yeah. like that. Uh, yeah, So, but yeah, we hit a little wall here uh, last month, month and a half, and um, so, and, and then, you know, the, the arm injuries, you know, it's minor, so, um, so that was good news. And, yeah, just trying to get back where I can get back to pitching well. So that's what I wanted to just ask on behalf of kind of Nats fans is just to get an update on the arm. When you hear, hey, elbow discomfort, I think, was the terminology used, and you left the start, that's kind of ominous. Can you give us an idea of just what's going on and what you think the timeline is like to pitch again? Yes, yeah, so it's minor. Um, the timeline, I'm not sure, uh, but, you know, it's not – crazy long we just gotta have, we're gonna have to see how it how it is you know the next week or two and then hopefully start throwing at some point and you know getting ready to get back in the game Mackenzie Gore with us here on Grant and Danny a brand new national as of only a few hours ago uh, Mackenzie give us a scouting report give it give a little self-scouting about the repertoire and how you like to attack hitters yeah yeah I have four pitches fastball change up curveball and slider um um, best when you know I'm locating fastballs and attacking the zone with that, and then kind of mixing the off speed when needed. So um, yeah, guy going to compete, um, like to win, and you know going to attack the zone. So. I, I always like to ask that question of pitchers and hear them give kind of their order of operations. You said fastball, changeup, slider, curveball. Your changeup, well. Frankly, your whole repertoire uh, is disgusting, but your changeup is really, 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 really good. I think you feel like that's your your best pitch. Um, no, honestly, the changeup is probably the worst pitch. Um, so the uh, the curveball and slider, I've definitely been a little ahead of the changeup so far this year. Um, I've used the changeup more uh, probably after the first month or so, but it's definitely a pitch that you know has a chance to you know get people out and. But the spin has been a little better so far this year. So, Mackenzie, how how many times have you been to? How familiar are you with DC? I know you know, obviously <laughs> being in San Diego, working your way up through the minors. You're a North Carolina kid. What do you know about the district? I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't. I don't think I've ever been, so I don't know a whole lot. <laughs> well, we can be your tour guides when it comes to food. That's about all we can cover for you. You'll have to find other people for other more important things. But we can help you if you. I don't know what you like. If you like barbecue or steaks, we'll point you in the right direction. Yes, yeah, that's important. So I'm, uh, I might have to take you up on that. <laughs> and as we told you, David Aldridge, a season ticket holder, a great writer with The Athletic, renowned and respected media member in D.C., didn't really know how to feel. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, it's funny because I'm trying to decide about, you know, I, I, I'm writing, but it's very difficult for me to separate writing as kind of a dispassionate observer like we're supposed to and writing as a Washingtonian who has season tickets, whose two kids love Juan Soto, <laughs> you know, and whose two teenage boys hearts were broken when I had to explain to them why Bryce Harper wasn't here anymore. <laughs> and when they were little kids and, and what I could tell them was, but Trey Turner's still here, <laughs> but Juan Soto's still here. We'll get to see them. <laughs> and now they're literally, I, I sort of got this is their reaction today. Well, at least they didn't trade him to the Dodgers. That was their reaction. Wow. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's, that's not a good reaction. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. It's like res- so, resignation. They were going to trade him, but yes, at least it's a team exactly. that doesn't really break my heart. At least it wasn't to the Dodgers. You know, like, and so, man, I don't know. This is a tough one for me. This really is a tough one for me. David, in your opinion, how did we get here, and who do you blame for that? Well, I, it's, it's, blame is a, is a pejorative word, which I don't like to use. I think I understand that circumstances may have made it very difficult to keep them past today, right? I get that. I understand. Turn down 440. I get it. Like, I'm not stupid. I get it. That's a lot of money. A lot of money. You can argue about the AAV. You cannot argue about the AAV. It's a lot of money. He said no. I get it. Um, I think 2020 hurt more than we're ever going to know. I think having no revenue and no fans in your building for an entire year hurt more than we're ever going to really understand. Um, The massive thing has always been there. This is what I told somebody else. Is it a factor? Yes. But it can't explain all of these decisions. Any more so than you would say there's a downturn in the, in the market for, you know, the mall market. And they took a beating on, on mall because people, people don't go to malls anymore. They just order from Amazon. I get it. Yes. That's impactful. It is a factor. It is a factor. It is hard to say that explains every decision that they have made the last few years, whether it's giving deferred, offering deferred money, money to Rendon, deferred money to Harper, moving on to Trey Turner with a year and a half left, moving on from one sort with two and a half years left. It's not any one move. It's the whole series of moves that makes it difficult to swallow. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Everything in a vacuum makes sense. But you, but fans don't experience things in a vacuum. They experience them all at the same time, right? So it's just hard to kind of say, yeah, but there was COVID and that was bad. Yeah, but, you know, Angelos is a jerk because he's not giving us our money. Yeah, you know, all of those things. At the end of the day, you own a major league team. You got to pay for great players. That's never going to change. It's never going to change. And if I look at the Atlanta Braves, who just signed a fourth impactful player to a long-term extension yesterday, I have the right to say, why are they able to do it? And the Nets can't seem to do it. It's a great question. David Aldridge of The Athletic is with us. Now, obviously, the, the, the first thing I would say, I know it's a rhetorical question, is, None of those guys are Boris clients. And he looks at those deals and says, those are terrible deals for the, the player. Should they stop doing business with Scott Boris, I guess? I mean, if, if... I mean, I'll put it to you this way, Grant. 
I don't want to hear any more about the special relationship Scott Boris has with the learners. Same. It's over. It's done. <laughs> yeah. It no ain't more. that special. Don't mention, <laughs> it, don't ever mention it again. I don't ever want to hear that sentence uttered by anybody in this organization again. Yeah. It's over. And that's okay. And by the way, I'm not blaming Scott Boris. That's his job. His job is to find his job is to get six hundred million dollars from Monsanto. I get it. That's his job. I'm not angry with him. All I'm saying is that there's no He's gotten one guy has given us a hometown discount. He's given this city a hometown discount. Steven Strasburg. That's it. That's, That's true. It. Yeah. I can't argue with that. Uh, I hate to say how should fans be feeling, David, because, I mean, it's up to everyone to feel how they want to feel. But, I mean, what's your thought on that? And, and you said you're not really sure how you're going to go about the column yet. I'm, I'm, I want to dive a little more into that before we let you go. I mean, as, yep. a, as a season ticket holder, do you, do you come back to the well next year? Like, how are you feeling about this? I mean, you know, you have to come. You have to. You guys were mentioning before I came on. I'm not paying the same price next year. <laughs> like, well, how could you? How could you possibly ask someone to pay the same price they're paying now? How? How? <laughs> you can't. It's not a, that's not the same team that I paid tickets. For, you know, paid happily for five years ago. Like, you know, it's not. So we'll see what happens. Um, I don't know. I love baseball. My kids love baseball. We like going to baseball games, you know, so it's different. Um, it's a different experience. Um, you know, so we went to a game last weekend and Josh Bell had a three run homer to win the game. And that was cool. And so I was working last night, but you know, Juan hit the, hit the home run off his, off his shirt. It gets back to that emotional moment. Like that's an emotional moment, right? In a lost, season you can at least say i saw juan soto step up to the plate against max scherzer and take him out <laughs> what is that what what's the cost of that what's the what's the benefit what's the value of that for a fan i would say it's a lot more than their 30 games under 500 we all get that they're bad we know they're bad but what is that worth to my son you know <laughs> uh, and that's that's, I don't know how to answer that. It's a difficult question to answer. And I just hope going forward, whoever buys this thing understands that those moments are much, are much more about did they win or lose the game last night. Because there's too many games to, to make it all about winning and losing. When you, when you buy into a baseball team, it can't just be about did they win. It has to be about was it worth it for me to bring my family out of here? Or was it worth it for me as a 15-year-old to come out and watch this? And... With Soto, it was always, yeah, it was worth it. I wrote about this last week. We came to the game on July the 4th, 11 a.m. game. Marlins aren't very good. Nats are terrible. It was a terrible game. It was a boring game, 1-1 in the eighth. <laughs> Nobody cares. Soto didn't start because he had the calf injury. So they sent him in the pinch hit at the bottom of the eighth. The place went nuts, as it should have. Because <laughs> you didn't know what was going to happen. You didn't know if he was going to hit a ball 500 feet or not. You didn't know. And, again, I would, I would just hope that going forward people understand that those moments matter. There were something. In a lost season that nobody's going to remember that game 10 years from now, 10 months from now, nobody's going to remember that game. But I'm going to remember that this place went absolutely insane when Juan Soto stepped out to the plate in a meaningless game on the July 4th. And that has value to a franchise got to be worth something. It's got to mean something to ownership going forward. 
And you know we had to tap into 2019 for a little nostalgia. One fewer national on the roster from that championship team. Spanky, Adam Eaton, joined us to discuss Juan Soto being moved. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's a unique situation. It really is. Um, you know, he, he is, for me, a once-in-a-lifetime player. He, his, his mental makeup, his personality, um, and, of course, what he can do on the field is just very, very, very unique um, and uh, doesn't come around very often. With that being said, it seems that the Nationals are kind of in a hard uh, a tough position because they want to rebuild and they, they want to rebuild in a, a timely fashion for the sake of the fan base and, uh, you know, the sake for, uh, you know, really the fan base and, and the city uh, itself. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a tough situation to be in. Um, do you, I guess if you're Rizzo's standpoint, do you see the organization rebuilding around Soto with the 400 and 400, $440 million plus contract? And, and what time frame does that set you in? Or do you go out, you sell him, and uh, you get uh, hopefully four or five, uh, you know, possibly six top uh, top prospects to hopefully, um, you know, between five and seven years to be able to rebuild. You know, and that was uh, – Rizzo's never been <laughs> shied away from big, uh, big staples like that. So um, I'm not surprised, to be honest with you. I'm really not surprised, but – um, hopefully, like the hopefully these guys pan out, and hopefully they can have success in the future. Adam, you know we got to know Soto just a little bit through interviews and and the like. We're just wildly impressed with him. But you got you guys were in the clubhouse every day. I tell you this: if I was 20 years old and put up the season he did in in 2019 for you guys, I'd be insufferable. I would walk around and nobody could tell me anything. I'd be the worst kind of dude ever. I, I don't get the sense he was that way. It, just talk about the guy. I mean, what kind of teammate was he as a twenty-year-old with all with some of you elder statesmen guys in, in their you know in their thirties, grown men with families and the like? What was it like to have him as a teammate? It's it's a lot. Yeah, it's again. That's why I think he's a once in a lifetime uh, player because you would a hundred percent agree. I, I think the game changes a lot of guys. It it. Um, especially at that age, I mean, maturity-wise, you know, I, like we've had that conversation. I was, you know, when I was 20 years old, I was trying to steal steal beer when I was coming home from uh, college out of my dad's fridge. I mean, it was just a different mindset. This guy's won a World Series. He's on cloud, cloud nine. But he comes to the ballpark being the exact same human being every single day. You, he couldn't. He didn't get in trouble. Like, we would try to find things to say on the, on the bus and on the mic and try to make fun of him or, you know, get underneath his skin. But he didn't give us any ammunition where, you know, most all young players, especially that good, would say a ton of dumb things in the media, like myself. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm well-renowned for that, you know. And, and, but he just he would stay to himself when he was around the boys um, in the clubhouse. He would listen. He would learn. Even when you didn't even think he was listening and learning, he, he, he's just he's, he's such a student of the game. I mean, I think he's the definition of it. Um, I think we've talked about this, and I think the Yankee player, you know, Yankee people would um, get mad at me for saying this, but, you know, watching the documentary on Jeter, I think there's a lot of parallels. Um, you know, maybe not so much playing-wise and, you know, him being shortstop in a big city, but just his demeanor to win and when, when you know, whenever he goes up against anybody, as well as learning, being in the right position at all times, um, learning pitch-to-pitch instead of, you know, week-to-week uh, in a big league season. He's Again, he's just a – He's a very, very unique person, and um, he's, again, just like Jeter said, he's, he's one of those guys when you're on the field, 
he doesn't care about any personalities. He wants to win, and if you want to win, he wants to win too. It's just like I said, it's, he's just he's made out of different cloth, and all doing it um, before you know the age that is appropriated, you know, in, in Major League Baseball, which is what you know your prime is twenty seven plus to thirty one, which it might change nowadays because. You know, you know, everyone might be in their prime a little earlier, but you know, it's just amazing at the age that he's at that he's doing that, thinking that way, acting that way, and uh, all the veterans loved it. Adam Eaton is with us on Grant and Danny, nineteen World Series hero and a part of uh, the most successful team in Nats history. The fans, and you are in some way, I'm sure, a fan from afar still of the organization, but that are here in D.C. I mean, think about them, like how quickly this has all changed. We were just recounting who's left from that team, and it's – I forgot Anibal Sanchez, who, believe it or not, is still in the big leagues pitching right now. But you have him. He's back. Out. He had a 6 ERA two years ago, out of baseball last year, and right now he's, he's 20% of the rotation. Then you got Corbin, who has a couple years left on his deal, and then Robles. But, I mean, what's your take on just how quickly this changed? Like Ron Burgundy style, that escalated quickly. Three years ago, you guys won the title, and now it's it's kind of like a who's who over there. You're trying to, to thumb through a program. Well, if it doesn't show you that Major League Baseball is a business, I don't know what it would. I mean, it's kind of a sad part, too, because you would think if you were, you know, let's go, you know, transport back to 2019. We just won the World Series. If you and I were doing an interview a month past, you're looking at the roster saying, man, we could be pretty good for a little while now. You know, we got, uh, you know, you know, I was under control. You know, we were trying to bring back Howie. We had, you know, Suzuki, Jan. We had, you know, Strauss, Max, uh, you know, all the boys. We were, we, were, we were supposed to be good for a couple years after that. COVID hit, did not help. Uh, I'm sure it did not help the pocketbook of the owners. It didn't help, the, you know, of the, of the city in general. And I think that, for me, had a little bit of effect on it. And all of a sudden, it was like, uh, from the you know the outsider's perspective is now we won the World Series we we've pushed all of our chips and we've won a huge hand one of the biggest hands we've ever won now do we do we uh, fold a couple years in a row and and try to maintain those chips or do we keep playing the hot hand and hopefully you know um, we we make it through and I, I think they decided to fold for a couple of years and hopefully try to regroup and 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 kind of you know collect those winnings and then. You know, down down the road uh, in a couple of hands, say ten years, I would say it might take before they're good again. Um, it, it's it is what it is. It's a business. It's part of it, and, and uh, it's tough. It's tough to watch because, like you said, I'm a I'm a Nationals fan. We'll be for the rest of my life and enjoy watching the uh, the club, the clubhouse, and the and the guys from afar, and, and rooting for you guys again for the rest of my life. But it's it's gonna they have to be a lot of patience in in D.C., Virginia, and Maryland. A lot of patience. So hopefully. Um, when we come back from our 10-year anniversary, hopefully uh, the team will be will be relevant again because you got to think about it. You're going to have controllables, these young guys that they just got from San Diego. Um, you're going to have those guys controllable, hopefully, for the next six to seven years, depending on when they're called up. And then you got to wrinkle in like a Jason Worth and other guys to kind of bring along the clubhouse and a Max Scherzer, and that's, uh, that's going to take some time. So hopefully everyone's got the pa- patient pants on. <laughs> Adam, when 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 you were here, you guys won an awful lot of ball games, and and the payroll reflected that. It was a top ten payroll. You know, talking about expenses, but the reputation of this ownership, whether they, you know, whether it's fair or not, 
is that there's a lot of penny pinching that goes on at times. Nickel diamond, at, you know, whether it's facilities, whether it's minor league stuff, whether it's you know paying a coach or or the staff or whatever. Do you ever experience any of that? I mean, again, you guys earn your money at the, at the top of this, uh, you know, the one millionth of one percent whoever pick up a baseball bat. So at the major league level, maybe for you guys it, it wasn't this way. But did you ever observe some of that where it was some of that nickel diamond that's that's kind of followed them around? You, you you do in most cases with all organizations besides maybe the top three to four. Um, you know, you, you you can imagine the organizations that I'm talking about. Most of those organizations are is about as nice as you can get, and anything you ask for, you get. And then, and then the, the rest of the organizations throughout the, the big leagues, there are some things. And, and again, you know, it's petty um, little complaints that you have, but – it, there is some definitely little situations here and there. We're like, oh my goodness, come on! Like that's that's not a huge ask, and let's make it happen. As well as, um, you know, when it comes to formulating a team. But again, it's all opinion. You know, I you know I don't know the books. I don't know. You don't know what actually goes on behind closed doors with the the financials and whatnot, or what type of margins there are. And uh, you can speculate all day. Um, but you know, there's a reason those people are in those situations, and and. Uh, like I said, it's hard to comment on that. But again, from a player standpoint, most organizations you always have a little things here and there that you're like, "Hey, come on now, it's not that uh, big of a deal." You know, their uh, most owners' incomes is, <laughs> is uh, public knowledge as well. So, like I said, it's, it's part of it. It's part of it. But like I said, I, I have no complaints uh, on a, the major scale of things, especially with the Nationals. Um, I always enjoyed the heck out of the organization. Like I said, I still root for them through and through and everybody that's involved. I mean, I was so welcomed with open arms when I was traded there in 17 and then gotten in, you know, getting injured and just top to bottom. There's some, uh, some really, really quality human beings in that organization that I'll forever be thankful for.